Hey, Sharin, thank you for coming in. You just have an amazing, outstanding background of leadership and impact and uh, definitely uh, transformational innovation globally in so many different dimensions. It's such an honor to have you here uh, speaking and, and engaging with our audience. So thank you again. Thank you, Stephen. I think the honor is all mine. I, I'm so uh, thankful to have this opportunity to speak with you. Thanks for having me. So, Shireen, you know, and looking at your background, and, and I should tell you that I track my audience. My audience is actually primarily investors, CEOs, uh, sovereign funds actually track my, my interviews. It's predominantly a senior executives, and then second to that would be things like professors and engineers. So, that, interestingly enough, even though it goes into all these science organizations, it happens to be CEOs typically are the number one um, uh, consumer of these uh, interviews. But what's universally curious, or my audience has a curiosity about, is because you have this amazing success history there, they're always curious about what are the inflection points in your life that made this wonderful person you are today? And then maybe when you were five, and it could be something in your family, or or when you're in school, just there had to be these sort of turning points that really uh, you know transformed you, and then in turn transformed you into this marvelous career. Thank you. Um, I appreciate that, Stephen. I, I think um, I would probably start with the fact that I, I was born in Uganda and uh, I had to leave as a refugee. And that was under the regime of then President Idi Amin. So I was really plunged into a completely different culture, uh, learning to live as a teenager in Canada without my parents for about a year and a half. And really in Uganda, traditionally, it would have been a pattern of getting married, becoming a homemaker. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I, in fact, did that for many years, raising my two daughters, and I loved it. But I don't think I would have been happy with that. And I would certainly not have had the opportunities that I've had in Canada and the US. For one, um, I might not have met my husband, who uh, who came from Kenya uh, and uh, moved to Canada. We we met in Toronto, so I found my best friend, and I've known him for forty eight years. We've been married forty three, so that certainly changed the trajectory of my life coming into uh, a new country as an immigrant. And then we then migrated to the U.S. where my younger daughter was born, and I used to volunteer at my kids' schools. Uh, so, yeah, that, that was a huge, um, a huge difference that it presented in my life. So, so I'm hearing that your upbringing and, and sort of the situation you found yourself in early in your life and then having to immigrate or, or come here into North America was transformational for you. I also hearing that um, uh, your lifelong uh, friend and partner, your husband was, was transformational for you as well. And then really uh, being inspired with your children to uh, do things that are impactful and that somewhat shaped uh, what you do today. It, it, did I get that right? For sure, for sure. I mean, you know, I uh, came in um, into a new country. My one daughter was born in Canada. We then migrated to the U.S. where my second daughter was born. And um, I was pretty involved in their lives as well. Um, I used to volunteer for in their school. So the volunteering has been, again, a very, very big part of my journey. Uh, it was a great way for me to learn about the culture, to learn about the education system. And um, so I, I volunteered at many different organizations. Another one was um, something that I learned about along the way. And that was uh, an organization called CASA. It's an acronym for Court Appointed Special Advocate. So I went through several weeks of training to become this court-appointed special advocate, advocating for children and becoming a voice for them. And this, Stephen, came on the heels of my younger daughter needing major uh, surgery. And um, in, in exploring what that was like, it was 
incredibly emotional and physically exhausting. Um, the whole experience over the few years that I pursued it for all of us. And then I learned about CASA. And here are kids who, for various reasons, right, no access to their parents. So they're at the mercy of an overworked and under-resourced social services system. And I wanted to know how I could help. So as a CASA, I became the only voice and constant in these kids' lives. So I go to speak with their teachers and the doctors and judges or whoever impacted these kids' lives decisions, I was there. And um, that was also very transformational for me, learning about the social services and the systems. Um, this was in my early years in the US. And I, you know, I, if something was presented to me that I didn't know about, I want, I was curious about it and I wanted to learn. So I said, yes, and I want to learn more. And around that time, I was also asked to be on the board of the um, alumni of my um, alma mater. And I graduated from Thomas Jefferson University. At that time, I had no idea what a board was. Um, I'd never no, you know, never knew something like that even existed. My husband was running a company and he had his board, but I didn't really pay attention to it. I was so focused on my family life and raising my kids. But um, I said, yes, let me learn more about it. So, you know, uh, just taking on opportunities that have really helped me build my confidence, understand uh, culture various systems within the country so you know that's really really fascinating because you took a personal story and and the uh, challenges faced by your daughter to then broaden that scope and to really uh, taking those lessons and applying it to the to the bigger community by being a court a court appointed special advocate on behalf of children who are going uh, under uh, going their own challenges and finding solutions and so on, but also listening to their story and understanding and have empathy for their story and then acting upon that empathy to do something, um, uh, you know, meaningful to progress and to to break through some of the challenges they're having. Uh, having. And then that uh, leading to, you know, Thomas Jefferson University and being on the alumni board. And again, reaching out to the broader community for service and, and uh, listening for uh, to others. And I guess that really speaks to EQ, right? Uh, really having empathy uh, for others or or from a cognitive standpoint, this idea of theory of the mind, where you're actually looking at and understanding other people's points of view and then uh, relating to that and, and executing it in some meaningful way. And I can see that now percolating throughout your entire life. So, and, and we'll get to some of that. So, that, that, you know, that's really inspiring and moving. What I want to do before we do that, and we'll get into some of your current work, is let's talk about, uh, you know, you, you got into science, right? So were you always interested in, in science and things like that when you were very young, or, or was that something that changed as you were growing older? So interesting. Um, I have to think about that for a minute, but I think I was... Short answer, yes, I was, but I knew that I wanted to go in, in healthcare, but I didn't want to be a doctor because of the number of years that would take and I didn't have the money. I was a refugee. I needed to have an income um, to support myself right away. So um, I met my husband at 17. We got married at 22. He had a great job. I did not, but I wanted something. And I wanted a career that would start generate. I would start generating income so that I could pay for my own education and I could support, you know, I could then, um, we, we bought a house and just basically support my lifestyle. And um, in the process, I got into this program in diagnostic imaging. And so I trained to become an, an X-ray technologist and then later went into ultrasound. Um, and I loved, I loved being in the medical field. I loved the work that I was doing. And I think I have been so fortunate because over the years, 
everything that I've done is sort of built upon itself and not by intention. It's just worked out that way in life. So um, I, I did love sciences, although I have to say I hated physics. And it was one of those questions like, when am I ever going to use physics in my life? Um, and once you know it, later on, I ended up teaching radiology and, and I needed to apply everything that I had learned in that. So um, so it's really interesting how it just all came together for me. So I could see now the journey again, you know, this diagnostic imaging and so on, and that leading to, I mean, you got a master's in bioethics from the U University of Pennsylvania, which is a really good school. And with a focus on the ethics of emerging technologies, which I find uh, fascinating, you know, Fulbright scholar uh, doing work in reproductive ethics and so on. I mean, it's just, it just fascinating. And then you go on to Drexel University and uh, for the uh, Nanotechnology Institute and uh, the School of Biomedical Engineering as program director. So that's that's really, really uh, fascinating. And, and it makes you more uh, or very much uh, interdisciplinary uh, if you, you know, pulling in all of these different uh, viewpoints. So how does, how has that background then shaped your work with YPO? I mean, how did you get involved with YPO and, and then let's mine what YPO is and so on. So, so who is YPO? How did you get involved? And then we'll update to what you are doing right now with YPO. Sure. Uh, so if you'll allow me to backtrack a little bit about some of the things that you mentioned, Stephen. Um, as I mentioned, I had been doing a lot of voluntary work. That's an inherent part of my upbringing and part of my, my faith and my community. So I did a lot of volunteering in the kids' schools for CASA, as I mentioned, in my faith community, as I mentioned. But um, my youngest daughter was going to university and I was going to become an empty nester. And now, oh my gosh, what would I do now? So this was a huge milestone and also an inflection point in my life, right? I knew I wanted to do more. I, um, I applied for jobs and I applied for uh, my, uh, this master in bioethics program at the University of Pennsylvania. And you have to remember, I mean, here's a, a little girl from a, a village in Africa and applying to an Ivy League school. And I'm like, I'm never going to get it. And I did. And I remember just dropping the phone and crying because I was like, oh, my God, is this for real? Right. Um, just so such an amazing feeling. But I also got a job at, in the Nanotechnology Institute at Drexel University. And so it was decision time. Um, what do I do? And I had both like both are cutting fields at the time, talking about 2006, right? Bioethics was a very new uh, field, a new degree at Penn. I was getting this job in nanotechnology and amazing, interesting field. I'm like, I want to do both. How am I going to do this? So I went and I spoke to my boss who had just hired me at Drexel University. And I said, Yuri, I want to, I, I, I've just been accepted in this bioethics program and you've given me a job, which I just accepted. And what should I do? How can I manage it? Is there any way I can do this? And he's like, of course, nanotechnology has a lot of ethical issues it's a new field there's a lot of areas in bioethics bio nanotechnologies that we're going to be working on um go and do it and luckily my the bioethics program was in the evenings it was made for designed for people like myself who are uh, full-time employed and um and so he was so supportive and I'm so grateful to him for that. And it was great because I had the opportunity to now go into Penn, learn about bioethics, come back. And again, you know, there was an integration of my school and my work. And this then led to the Fulbright. Um, and I was the only one at the time because of bioethics, it was the School of Medicine at the University of Pennsylvania. And I, I was the one that they picked to do my Fulbright. And this Fulbright was to research um, the ethics of emerging technologies. And I chose to go to the United Arab Emirates to pursue this. 
And my areas of interest were really neuroethics and reproductive ethics. There wasn't much happening in the UAE at that time on neuroethics. So I focused on reproductive ethics. And it was a field that was just exploding at the time in the UAE. Dubai had clinics opening up all over the place doing in vitro fertilization. And I was in a culture that wouldn't be very difficult to speak about such an issue because it was quite taboo. And there's certainly not an open culture where you speak about uh, this personally to anybody. Um, but somehow I, I got the support and I uh, found a professor who was actually doing all this research and um, um, piggybacked on that. And I said, I want to do this study. And there was a professor there from Sudan at the time. And he's like, of course, nobody's going to want to talk to you. But that's what research is about, is asking all these difficult questions, right? So go for it. You can't back down. And he really encouraged me. And again, I was so grateful for that. And it turned out to be an amazing qualitative study, which I'd never done before. But I managed to do that in the year that I spent in the Emirates. And um, and by the way, another personal part of this, as I was applying for the Fulbright, I got diagnosed with breast cancer. Wow. And I had had enough of doctors and, and medications and treatments. And three weeks after I finished my chemo, I said to my husband, I want to get out. I don't want to see another doctor again. And um, I decided to pursue the Fulbright and I was off completely bald and off to the Emirates to do my Fulbright. And I loved every minute of it. So, uh, um, you know, during this time, the Dean of Biomedical Engineering had also been reaching out to me and said, this is, um, you know, when you come back, can you come back to Drexel, please? And I want you to direct this program for uh, students to go for service learning experiences in the Gambia and Mozambique. And so that's what I did. And, you know, just the opportunity to work with youth was just so incredible for me. And together we just created some profound experiences. And I learned how much I enjoyed working with youth. Um, and so when I had this opportunity to become the chair of uh, the Peace Action Network at YPO, I think part of it was because I had done a TED Talk sharing my experiences on migration, working with students going to Mozambique, uh, the Gambia, all of that tied in together. And um, somebody in YPO saw that I had done this talk and asked me to come and speak at one of the summits of the Peace Action Network in Boston. And from there, I just got um, into uh, being a learning officer. And then, you know, several years later, here I am um, as the chair. And I, I never imagined I would be here because um, as you know, YPO is a, a global leadership community of executives. And uh, there's 34,000 uh, members there. And collectively, they are in uh, 140 countries uh, um, creating a revenue of over $9 trillion. And for me to be in this role as a spouse and the first female to be elected is just such an honor. I'm so humbled by it. And it's such a privilege to be in this opportunity. And also, uh, I have the opportunity to work with the YNGers, who are the young, we call them YNGers, but they're the young next generation of um, YPO. So they're the kids of YPOers. And peace is all about the future. I mean, right? We're, when we're talking about peace, we want to know what our kids are thinking about and how are they hoping that their future is going to be built. And we, at least I have lived, you know, a very good life and I've probably contributed to messing up the future for my kids and for my grandkids, right? And I think that this is an opportunity for me to see how I can help, um, help build on the concepts of peace 
and help really I mean, I don't know where this is going to go. We we have a mission of connecting leaders to co-create inner family and world peace, but also we have a vision of really um, creating this peaceful world for our future generations. So it's an exciting time for me. Um, our pillars are of inner and family peace, as well as conflict zone and polarization. So as we develop our programs, uh, you know, I'm just so mindful that there are so many experts out there, uh, such as yourself, uh, who are working on this. Um, you know, I had the opportunity to meet you at the AI for Good conference you just had in Geneva. And I met so many wonderful people who are committed to this. And so I feel like there's so much hope and um, there is opportunity. So that's where I'm at with YPO right now. Okay, so there's so much to unpack here. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I was sort of summarizing your your uh, work in bioethics and your nanotechnology institute, but you went into quite a bit of detail about why that was meaningful, your own personal journey from a health standpoint, and that really incentivized you and was a catalyst to even do more. And even in a region of the world where there's, there's uh, even challenges to address some of these areas, and yet, and yet you, you went forward and uh, you got into this youth engagement from the service learning um, in Gambia and Mozambique, and it's just fascinating. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's profiled in a paper, the dielectrics of power and resistance. So, uh, it, you know, that's all very fascinating. So, I just want to do a follow up on that part, and then we'll go to the YPO part. So on, on this master's in bioethics, uh, that's very applicable today. As you know, there's the Altos Labs, uh, which is with Yamanaka, and they're working on age, uh, aging, and they've got some um, early results with animals, which looks like they can do some re rejuvenation. Uh, you're seeing uh, Sinclair at Harvard as somewhat the same thing, and uh, not only using uh, sort of biologically-based therapies, um, but also now chemical-based therapies that just released another paper indicating that maybe they can sort of do rejuvenation using uh, a, a chemical means as well. So there's a there's the bioethics of that. There's a bioethics of CRISPR and Cas9 is like the older technologies. There's even updates of this genetic uh, editing technologies. There's cloning technology uh, there's the application of large foundation models and large language models and and the whole bio uh, area and deep mind with alpha fold or ESG uh, uh, this uh, ESM fold where they they're able to uh, predict where you know uh, amino acids fold into over 600 million uh, proteins and so there's all of this aspect so because you have this background on the nano side, on the youth side, on the bioethics side, it'd be interesting to get your comments. For example, if we solve aging before 2030, let's say, which means that theoretically then maybe people can live forever. What, what does that mean in terms of succession planning, resource use, uh, also on the, on the genetic editing side? What does that mean if we can genetic edit to um, produce uh, certain kinds of offspring, or we can um, intervene in some way, or or we can create clones of ourselves. I mean, and that is possible now, right? That technology, and without sort of the problems associated with it, and then in biomedical innovation, I mean, there's all of this confluence of these different areas. What are your feelings of uh, from because you have this great background on all of this transformation that's occurring on the on the biotechnology side. Yeah, I mean, there is just so much work on the horizon that's happening, right? For me, I, you know, I, I have grandkids um, and I always wonder, first of all, I mean, if you take aging and my mother lived to be a hundred and she, she was very active to the very last day, thank God. Uh, she had all her senses about her. She, you know, she didn't wear, she wore glasses, but she had her own teeth and, and it was just amazing. Um, and yet I have, I, I'm the youngest of 11 in my family. I ha I'm watching 
my siblings and my extended family members aging. And I think about the quality of life. And I think we so often forget when all the research that's going on in the field of aging and we're trying to improve the quality of life, but we're so far away still. And I wonder about the resource allocation, like where do we go with the resources that are so depleted even as of now, as we speak for most countries, right? Do we do we put it in healthcare that is focused? Like, do we focus on the population that's aging or do we focus on the younger populations? It, as stretched as our healthcare systems are right now, how do we think through that? There are technologies, there is research, and there, there's money going towards that research. But I really worry about um, expending all those resources. Look, I would love to know that when I'm, you know, 90 years old, that there's stuff available for me, there's technology and um, healthcare available for me, but I don't know that I want to use it when I'm 90. I'd rather know that, it, God forbid, my, my kids or my grandkids need those resources, that it's there for them. Now, certainly this, I'm not saying research should stop because it shouldn't, and it's going to help a lot of people, but um, I have reservations about it. Let's just put it there and and I'll stop there. Um, as far as cloning, of course, there, you know, for Dolly the sheep to be cloned, you had to do it uh, for over a thousand sheep, but sheep before we actually succeeded with the cloning. The technology again has got a lot better, but um, we're not quite there yet for cloning. And then you have to think about all the the global aspects and the inter sort of international aspects of it. How are we going to work? Who's going to own the technology or how are we going to share this? And again, this goes to the idea of peace, right? I mean, we saw with the um, vaccines and with COVID, uh, the, the sort of race to who gets the vaccinations first. And then there was a lot of population who didn't get the vaccines in, in developing countries. So is the same going to happen uh, with uh, technologies that are there for the aging population? And then you come back to the issue of, you know, it's going to be there for people who can afford it and not for ones who can't. And how do we manage all of it? So bioethics, as you know, is just so many layers of questions and concerns that we have to address at an international level as well. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's really fascinating. And actually, every aspect of what we talked about has some aspect of peace because of the chaotic yeah. aspect or it can have on society. And then, and that chaos can then lead to breakdowns in, in civil society, right? So, and which then has to do with peace. Now, letting, uh, getting back to YPO, so just an additional background, it was founded, I think, in 1950, so it's like 73 years old and very private. It's all, uh, all the leaders within that organization are notable, like yourself, or uh, the spouses are notable, the children are notable, uh, the members are notable, uh, very private. So you don't hear a lot about YPO, even though they've been around for, let's say, 73 years. And as you mentioned, close to uh, nine or 10 trillion, actually close to 10 trillion in annual revenue, employing about 22 million, or 140 countries. And and um, uh, it's actually nearing 35,000 extraordinary members, as you mentioned as well. And there's what, 450 chapters and uh, just remarkable organization. Now, you mentioned that you're now the chair of the Peace Action Network and the first female to be elected to this position. So let's break, build some context then. Why do you mention that? Because this is an organization of roughly, I would say 35,000 uh, uh, leaders. And then if you include spouses and YNGers, maybe close to 100,000 in that community. Mm -hmm. why, why is it important as being the first female? Um, uh, can you give some ad additional sort of figures and context uh, of that? 
Uh, well, aren't females always the ones that create the peace in the families? So shouldn't it have happened sooner? <laughs> no, I'm just uh, teasing. But honestly, I, as I said, I'm so humbled and so privileged. Why? Um, why did it take so long? Is that what you're asking? Or why did it? Yeah, why did it take so long? And does YPO have an active uh, outreach program for women? Uh, what is the rough numbers of women who are within YPO? Mm -hmm. What are the targets? I guess mm -hmm. I guess throughout, generally, there's always a gender parity idea, right? And geographical parity. Is YPO yeah. following that program as well? You know, a lot of questions on that area. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? I... Um, I may not even be able to answer all those questions for you because um, until about eight years ago, that's about the time that I've been involved in the Peace Action Network. And I was, there's something in YPO called Forum. And Forum is a very uh, unique aspect and it's sort of the the flagship of YPO, where uh, leaders come together uh, with a group of maybe seven, anywhere between seven or eight or nine or 10, probably maximum. And uh, they meet once a month and they, um, they have a retreat, which is a mandatory retreat over a two or three day period. And it's up to each individual forum to, um, uh, to uh, decide their own rules. But the two rules of forum are confidentiality and commitment. So it's a huge commitment to spend four hours a month. Um, it doesn't sound like a lot, but you know, in, in the busy lives of uh, leaders who have uh, thousands of employees, it, it's quite challenging. Um, but the confidentiality aspect of it is, as we say, nothing, nobody, never. And that is really an amazing opportunity to come with your peers and get to understand more it's more focused on yourself and it's an opportunity to share the challenges that you are facing in life and um, as a leader you know there to have other leaders be able to relate the challenges at the top of as an executive that you're facing and how you can have shared um, sort of knowledge and have somebody else. It's not about giving advice, but it's more about somebody else mirroring what you're saying so you understand whether it's exactly what you intended to say. And this forum opportunity has been amazing. And so for the last few years, well, I've been in YPO, my husband joined in 1995, I think. It's, it's been a long time. And, um, and so I've been focused on forum over all those years. And it's really helped shape the person I am and understand who I am better for, for all the um, shared experiences I've had with my forum mates. Um, so I wasn't involved in anything other than that because I was focused on raising my family and then, you know, um, going back to school and, and back to work. Um, but having been involved with the Peace Action Network, I've started learning about what opportunities there are. Peace Action Network is one of four impact networks. The other ones being People Action Network, um, uh, Planet Action Network and uh, Sustainable Business Develop Business Networks, and all of them are focused on bringing better opportunities to leaders that they create impact in the world that they are serving. Um, it's been really wonderful for me to learn about the other networks, about uh, what YPOs are doing on a larger scale, because. Now my world has opened up to where I'm meeting other YPOers, where I'm meeting other um, people who are so focused on creating impact, and we have the shared vision. So um, the fact that I have come in, so Peace Action Network was started um, in two in 2001, very soon after 9-11 happened. And then um, YPO members came together and they're, you know, we have a forum now that has um, 
it's called the JAMA Forum, which is Jewish, Arab, Muslim Americans who have come together uh, and really understanding what it is like to be in each other's shoes, for example. So um, there has been, you know, if somebody, uh, a Muslim member was having a hard time getting out of the country because of the name, as was happening so much in the early years of 9-11, or a Jewish member who had um, the opportunity, you know, who for whatever reason had challenges with anti-Semitism, members came together to help and support each other. And this has become a forum that has gone, uh, has been in existence for 20 years plus now. Uh, so these are the kind of members that I have the opportunity to meet with that um, that started the Peace Action Network really with the intention of inviting other members from YPO who are not just focused on leadership, but really how can we understand what peace means within our worlds of business leadership? And how do you understand? So our two pillars of inner and family peace and conflict and polarization, for example, right? These conflicts are entering into our homes. If you think about what's going on right now, we are living in a world there's where there's just so much conflict, whether it's political, religious, cultural, racial, intergenerational, geopolitical, it's everywhere. And these conflicts are entering into our homes, impacting family dinners, polarizing families. And so we're focused on bringing programs to the organization. And these programs are really intended to provide tools to better ourselves as leaders, our families as understanding members of society. And then, you know, we can in turn be better leaders to the thousands of employees who look to them for creating the culture of the organization and thus, you know, uh, coexist in harmony, right? And when when Black Lives Matter um, uh, movement sort of came in into um, the U.S. and it filtered out all across the uh, the world, uh, we saw that there were so many issues that we we talk about but we don't really act on, and that's what we're hoping as the Peace Action Network that we can take these conversations. And whether you're on different ends of the spectrum, how do we find our shared humanity? How do we find our common goals? And what is our common ground as human beings? And um, really focus on that because we're all going to have our differences. We are different and that's a beauty. We're, We're each unique in our differences. But that doesn't mean that we have to to combat each other on that. We really need to focus on us as human beings because that's when we're hopefully going to make the planet better. We're going to hopefully, you know, know when all these bioethical issues and the technologies and the research that's going on. It's only when we focus on that that we'll make the right decisions in the technologies that come out. So Again, you see how all of this ties in for me into my life and the idea and going back to your uh, question about why, you know, female, why did I point that out? Because there wasn't any anybody um, as a female that was uh, elected and it's an elected position. And uh, I don't know, just being in the right time at the right place, maybe. Um, but I, I hope that I do make a difference and uh, um, really show that we can do this together. You know, there's again, there's there's so much information there. So let, let, let me try to summarize some of it, maybe give some context and then uh, um, we'll delve a little bit deeper. And, and we're running to the end of the interview. Uh, really, we could do this for half a day. There's so much there. <laughs> So, so let me check my understanding. So that you, you, we we talked about the organization. It's actually quite old, and it's of notable leaders, and it's a notable community uh, program. And you talked about uh, networks. So networks typically are more than a thousand leaders 
Uh, though I think uh, the protocol is something like 750 or some, some number like that to even constitute a network. So it's not a, so there's sort of like a formal definition of a network. And then you mentioned these four networks that are involved with impact. So they're, they're part of the impact networks council and that impact networks council is, is a way of organizing all of these four other networks associated with impact. And, and you mentioned the one involved with people. So an example with people would be like immigration would be, or healthcare, it could be something of interest to them. You mentioned yeah. something like planet, climate change would be of some of interest. You climate mentioned change. the one that you're the chair of, peace, and that's just addressing all of the chaotic issues and breakdowns that are occurring and, and trying to not only within your community, but also to bring stability to the world and uh, through your actions. And you talk about sustainable business and that is people run businesses. So why not do it by addressing in an ESG way or in a thoughtful way or uh, aligning to the sustainable development goals. But there is overlap between these different networks as well, these four that you mentioned. And then I guess it, in total, this would be like thousands and thousands of leaders. I, I know there was a, a public post uh, uh, back from the Global Impact Summit where one of your leaders indicated maybe it's a, it's a community of 8,000 uh, within this community of 35,000. So it's a significant uh, number. Yeah. So, so that's kind of adding context of, of, of sort of some background. And and you really, uh, the Peace Action Network is, is involved with the healthcare side because uh, are we providing uh, addressable and equity in healthcare? And if you don't, you get chaos, you get breakdowns in civil society. If you're um, uh, climate change and distribution channels and things. So again, you don't do that. It it brings chaos uh, and mm -hmm. breakdown and, and, and peace. And then if you don't do business correctly, you can get chaos and so on. So it's a pretty important network. Did I get something wrong or do you want to add? No, to it's an important network, right? And then the, uh, you know, uh, and YPOers are in every segment of society that you can imagine every every vector industry that you can imagine right so they are everywhere uh with, and healthcare is definitely we we have i think about i don't know what the exact numbers are but it's definitely thousands of members who are also connected in the health um, there's a health technology network and there's a health and wellness network those are two different networks but definitely a lot of interest in there. And we collaborate. So if I were bringing in a topic about um, peace and healthcare, you know, so uh, for example, there's a YPO who is creating a health bot and uh, using it in Mozambique to be able to take uh, data collection for vital signs um, and using artificial intelligence to do that. I, uh, it, it doesn't quite fit into our P-section program, but I would certainly be able to connect it to uh, connect him to somebody in the health and technology network. So, um, and Stephen, you're aware of the two wonderful programs that are coming up in um, uh, uh, as part of our annual year uh, in-person programs. One is what we call UNGA, which is a United Nations General Assembly program, where um, you're gonna be uh, play a big role in moderating for us as, or emceeing for us as well. And that is designed to bring the, um, the four impact networks together as well as the Leadership Development Network and the YNGers will be having their own session. And we bring in resources to address the um, issues that the UN is focused on, the 17 SDGs, as you uh, well know. Um, and we are going to be talking about what YPOers can do to create impact in that one day uh, session in New York. And then, as a, um, a further down the year in January, we're going to Rwanda and uh, we're going to be having what we call the Global Impact Summit, which was held in Costa Rica 
um, uh, in uh, February of this year, where, uh, it was just rated, all our programs are rated, and these programs have been rated so well, so we're bringing UNGA back in September in Manhattan, and then we will do the Global Impact Summit in Rwanda, um, and we are expecting 200 YPOers to uh, meet there, and the idea is to, again, get together to talk about how we can create impact and we create impact groups. So I mentioned forum before, here it's going what we call impact groups where YPOers and um, experts who are not in YPO, such as yourself will come together and advise us and uh, really help us to work together to, um, to see what we can focus on. So any, whether it's people action, peace action, planet action, or sustainable business, um, what are some of the things that we can do? So um, YPOs, for example, when you, when you think of Rwanda, you can't help but think of the genocide that happened over the hundred days there. And, um, you know, the, the idea that the Hutus and the Tutsis now come together and coexist and the amazing job that the Rwanda government has done um, to enable this and what they are taught about in school about how to work with peace in a community. We hope to build on that and really expand a program of peace builders. And, um, you know, Rwanda had about 800,000 casualties in this uh, genocide over a hundred day period, we're hoping that uh, with the um, role of the Peace Action Network and, you know, um, Stephen Hesh, Million Peacemakers and the Aegis Trust, we're gonna partner together with organizations like that and really hope to make a difference. So that is another example of why PO can work with uh, experts who are not in YPO and still uh, work magic. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing, all of the ideation to creation and uh, to execution of, of, of boots on the ground and doing uh, real work that has impact, it resonates at a local, regional, and global level, and it really uh, all of them concurrently. And Sharon, you're an amazing leader, you're, you're outstanding. I only have one more question left, and sort of what recommendations do you want to leave the audience? Oh my goodness, uh, what recommend? Uh, well, you might've figured out by now that I have this insatiable curiosity and I found opportunities that come from the most unexpected places. What I would say really is for anybody who's out there looking to do something different, something new, try different things, explore the opportunity, see where it leads. And, uh, uh, you know, a lot of times I've heard people say, I'm not ready for this, I, whether it's shame or whether it's ego that gets in the way sometimes, don't, you, you know, don't let it get in the way, challenge yourself, because I found really that, um, you know, I didn't know what a board was, I didn't know what YPO, what Peace Action Network was, I didn't know what bioethics was or nanotechnology, I just plunged right in. And challenging yourself will give you rewards by gaining the confidence of having put yourself out of your comfort zone and learning about different people, different practices, different aspects of what's going on in the world. Um, I'll give you a quick, another personal example. I, I became a pilot and I did that um, not only because I, I was curious about what that would take and I wanted to learn how to fly, but honestly, what it gave me in return, I, again, my upbringing in the culture that I grew up in, in Uganda, um, was a men's world. And I was very shy and I did not have the confidence of speaking to men and, and, becoming a pilot, all of a sudden, I was just surrounded by men, I was in a men's world. Um, and I had a lot of trouble with it before. But now I felt like there was something I could talk to them about. So really, as I said, go out there and 
challenge yourself, the rewards you get in return are just amazing. You know, that's really interesting. So what I'm hearing is embrace stretch goals, <laughs> uh, which are sort of at the edge of your boundaries and you just keep trying and, and executing and kind of the stepwise refinement. And uh, generally, Anthony Stefan says that uh, a no is just a yes with conditions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's amazing how different parts. And, and again, uh, you know, uh, I'm up there in my age too but over the years everything I've done has sort of come together in the strangest of ways I would have never expected it to and I wasn't certainly you know that was not the path that I I had no idea that Peace Action Network was all of a sudden going to talk about healthcare and and bioethics and and you know where it's going to lead to creating peace right and um, here I am just using everything that I've done over the years and um, being able to utilize all my experiences, which I'm ever grateful for. And you're continuing learning too. So as you mentioned- Lifelong learner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sharon, thank you for coming in and sharing so many uh, amazing, outstanding insights. You're an amazing, outstanding uh, individual who's contributing in so many ways and uh, thank you and, and you know the world is grateful for all of the work that you do so thank you again thank you thank you Stephen I just just uh, hope that you know we we can uh, take this in the right direction and I, I'm grateful for the platform and the opportunity to be able to do it thank you for having me Thank you for listening to the brand called You Videocast and Podcast, a platform that brings you knowledge, experience, and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website, www.tbcy.in, to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for the brand called You.